Welcome to Tub Talks. I'm Jean-Viev. I grew up learning the most through conversations in the hot springs with everyone from close family to complete strangers in the tubs at Esalen and Big Sur. There's a special kind of intimacy that's created when people strip down and share freely in the bath. On Tub Talks, we will soak in the wisdom and creativity offered from friends in all walks of life and relax into the process of growth together. In the ways that soaking becomes a deeper relaxation over time, freeform conversation allows for us to undress our insecurities and share our process and lifestyle in true authenticity. So, hello from my tiny clawfoot bath under an oak tree. Let's get into today's episode. Today on Tub Talks, we get to bathe with the wise, talented, and charismatic woman, Scout LaRue Willis. Scout is both beautiful and brilliant, thoughtful and present, an active listener, and a wise speaker. Soaking with her stops time and sits us in a state of absorbing wisdom from her life experience and commitment to personal growth. She shares with us about the energy behind her newly released album and the relationships that influenced its birth. Welcome, Scout. Well, welcome to Tub Talks. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for coming on our podcast in a bath. It's so nice to be in this bath. Um, are you a bath person? Yes, I love baths. I'm a bath slut. I'll take one every single day if I can. Wow, me too. I actually do take at least one a day. Wow. Do you wash your hair every day? No, I, I don't wash my I barely wash okay, my great. hair. Are you a hair washer? No, I mean, it's like I have so much of it and it gets really dry. But my friend Michelle just put me on to like wetting it, braiding it, putting it up, you know, just like hair care mm. stuff that I didn't realize I should be doing. Are I'm you low maintenance. I'm low maintenance too, which is interesting because I feel like we live in a high maintenance world. Yeah. And self-care as a ritual is something I still haven't quite grasped. Mm. But do you have practices that you do that are self-care rituals? I mean, baths are one of them and I love making them ritualistic. I also have a sunken in bathtub now. So I get like at least five different beverages oil in the water, salt if I have it. I also read in the bath. That's been my thing since I was a kid, especially morning baths because I open my window and I drink coffee in there and I'm just in there for like two and a half, three hours. I have a very similar practice with the morning (laughs) bath and the reading. It's so nice. I think that being isolated in the bath is the perfect way to read because Mm -hmm. you actually are so invested in what you're reading Mm -hmm. and the rest of the world can fall away and Mm -hmm. you're submerged in water. So it's a sensory experience in itself. Yeah. Yeah, and there's something about being in water. I'm like a triple water sign. What are, what's your sign? I'm Cancer, Cancer Rising, Scorpio Moon. So many emotions. I know, which I've had astrology people be like, you okay? (laughs) (laughs) Do you, do you you know a lot about astrology? Mm, Yes and no. I love... I love any different way of like emotionally understanding myself, just different ways of reading people. Like I got really into reading body language in college and then I got into astrology and spiritual psychology stuff. I love learning about addiction. I love learning about, it's like the more I learn, like shadow work, the more I learn about myself, the more I learn to love and accept other people. And I just find it, I find people fascinating. 
I love them. Have you always found people fascinating or is that something that you've grown into as an adult? No, I think I always have. What is it about studying humans? Because I have a sim- something similar in the sense that I love humanity and, mm-hmm. and creating experiences for people and then witnessing them through mm-hmm. experiences. Even pe- taking people home to Big Sur is like yeah. the most powerful thing because I'll never get to do that for the first time. So mm-hmm. I get to live through them in that way. And I, mm. I love that part of humanity, but I'm curious. And, and what is it? Like, do you love observing? Do you love psychoanalyzing? What is it in the human experience that you find joy? For me, at the end, the base of everything is curiosity. I'm a deeply curious person. I don't like gossip. I don't like talking shit about people, but I love knowing the juice. I'm fascinated by what, how we choose to express, what we keep secret. I've done so much work to love and understand myself more and let go of my stories and my judgments, and I feel like I'm constantly, there's so much to learn. The more I've learned about myself, the more I'm like, I'm a baby. Yeah. I feel so humbled by it because there's just so much to learn and so much to do. And so then through that lens, sometimes it's a little isolating. And I feel very blessed that I have now a larger community of people who are doing similar work, which makes it feel less lonely because it can sometimes feel like being a lucid dreamer in a world where everyone's still asleep. Wow, I love that. I recently had a journey where it told me don't fall asleep in the city of sleepers. Mm. And I really took that in and and felt, oh, okay, that's happening around me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, having that journey of being like, don't fall asleep in the city of sleepers because it it can be, I don't know, inviting to just be like, oh, I'm just going to do whatever everybody else is doing and join in the rat race of climbing for something that I don't even know what I'm climbing for mm-hmm. or like what is the goal of it what do, what does success actually look like to yeah. me as an individual not me in a society or a culture when do you reach success yeah which is so funny because I feel like for me I really quickly got to like happiness but then the question was okay but how and I'd see Instagram platitude type stuff but how you speak creates your reality accept yourself. I'm like, yeah, but give me instruction. How? How do I do that? What does that really mean? The truth is there's certain things you have to just get experientially. And for you, that could be like this journey, this breathwork class, this book, this coach. And for me, it could be like similar things and similar knowledge in a totally different order. And everyone kind of has to find their own... It's like an Indiana Jones type like puzzle and you have to like hit the right stones in order to like unlock the chamber. Of your own mind. Of your own awakening. Cause then I'll say things and I'm like, oh shit, that's what that teacher was saying. (sighs) Just understanding how to actually not judge myself for the first time and how to accept myself. And now it seems so obvious. And I think now it'll be harder for me to maybe explain it to someone else. (laughs) Yeah, it's your own intrinsic journey that is completely idiosyncratic to you Mm -hmm. and the things that make you you yeah have you always known that you were on your own path in that way or is it something that you had to come to understand Mm. I was definitely always on my own path I love people and at the same time I was very much in my own world and in my own world and creating art doing weird spells when I was little and like talking to animals singing in the backyard and covering myself with mud And then in high school, I was also using it to, like, avoid. I was the one in my family who's like, we're fine, we're fine, everything's fine, we're good. And things weren't. And so once everything cracked open, 
in my family when I was like 20, wool's been taken off my eyes and I'm now I'm gonna, I might as well dive in as deep as I could. To your own learning, your Yeah, own to like my own path and to pain. I like had only been living in this really small realm. I'm scout, I'm fine, I have no problems, nothing's wrong, here's my heart on a platter, like don't judge me, please love me. And then I like dove into this moodiness and this darkness. This guy said this to me once, and I loved it, that recovery is the thing you pass through on the way to the next extreme. Mm. So I definitely am just been this sweet little pendulum going through space trying to find a sense of first peace and enjoying peace and not questioning peace and not creating little chaos and tornadoes. And then, okay, what's a step further than that is like pleasure and joy and uh, like intentional hedonism. I just think it's so interesting that you said that because the book that we're reading for our Secular Sabbath Book Club is, um, it's called The Music of Life. And a lot of it is about sound and vibration and how our whole world is built of vibration, Mm -hmm. which is the fundamental of music and vibration is also the fundamental of atoms and Mm -hmm. molecules. But also there's a section about peace and joy that Mm -hmm. I've been literally proselytizing to everyone because it is so (laughs) profound in my own life. Yeah, And he says that, Peace is of the soul and joy is of the human experience. And it's very hard to accept peace in our life because it's uncomfortable almost. Because peace is unsettling because we're not used to it. We create the chaos. We want the thing. And the chaos is connected to the joy because the joy is a height. And a height you're always going to come down from and back and forth, back with the pendulum. So I'm fascinated by you saying that joy is the step after peace because that's a different way of looking at it too. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I love the idea of what comes from our soul and what comes from our humanity because, you know, I was in this spiritual psychology class for three years. It was changing my life. But there were still things that I only later realized I wasn't quite getting. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm letting go of my stories and I'm letting go of my judgments. But then it wasn't until I read this other book after that I was like, I'm now still judging myself for having the judgments and not being perfect. And I was like, oh, I'm living in this sort of bloodless, I don't know why that word kept coming to me, but like divine state where I always have to be perfect. And I was holding myself still to this really crazy standard. I literally can't believe you brought up the peace and joy thing because it's all I've been thinking about lately. I want to read that book. Yeah, because it is by this guy who wrote it in the late... 1800s. Oh, Yeah, he's amazing. And everything that he says is so profound and so relevant still to today. And that's when you really know a book is timeless. Mm -hmm. What's also so beautiful and interesting is that the issues are the same. There's such a universality of if you pull the thread enough, it goes to, I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm going to be abandoned. And then if you go even further than that, what it is, is, oh, I feel like I'm going to die. Yes. And when you realize that that's what's underneath so many of these fears and you can just talk to that little person in yourself, inside of you, and be like, you're not going to die. And the other thing is, death is not necessarily a death. In this Music of Life book, they also talk about death just being another vibration. It's a change in the state of vibration. Because when a flower even dies, it's not dying. It's returning to the soil and contributing in a new way. Mm -hmm. And we also have, I mean, the human body is in a perpetual state of change, even as it becomes part of the earth. And it's just simply a change in vibration. But we don't have any, in like Western culture, don't really have a lot of tradition around death. So I feel like a lot of us are really afraid of it. Yeah. And don't know how to move with it in a good way. And that's kind of what I was speaking to before. So I, 
I started thinking about, so I was reading this book called Existential Kink that's like so amazing. And so this author was talking about how our little human conception of what turns us on in life. Someone is nice to us. Someone affirms us. We find good parking spot. We feel good about ourselves, like turn on. Someone is mean to us. Someone calls us out. We have a bad day. We get fired. Turn off. But actually, our soul has come here to have every single human experience. So our souls are like, oh, yeah, I love it. Conflict, I'm here for it. And so I was listening to this, and she's like basically giving you instruction for how to open up to your soul's definition. But that's kind of how I read it. That was mm-hmm. like what I, the te- what I tasked yeah. myself with. And because that also connected to something else I learned a long time ago about how like because we are vibration and we are energy, being embodied means we are inherently out of alignment. So we spend mm. our time trying to seek for this alignment. And so where curiosity has gotten me recently is like if I have anxiety, my first response, I'm training myself, my first response not to be like, oh no, this feeling the neural pathway is so built, it's like, ooh, how human of me. Like, oh, anxiety, like, hello, friend. Nice to see you. So then, because sensation is neutral, so I'm almost like retraining myself to have my soul's definition of turn on, which is pretty much everything. What is that experience (laughs) like? I mean, because I I feel that way. I I go into the Ophir, like, my dad was having a health thing again Mm -hmm. recently, and, and... Mike and I were laying in bed going to sleep and I was just like, I'm so scared. Mm-hmm. And and he had health stuff a couple of years ago and it's kind of come back and now I'm scared in that same way. And I'm like, how do I realign myself with the fear mm. of my, my dad passing? Because there has to be a better way to handle it than last time because there was so much anxiety. It was very acute at the yeah. time. Whereas now I can't tell how acute it is. And, mm-hmm. and that also is interesting, but... Being in that state of fear, it's like, how do you sit in those states and just witness it? Mm. I don't know. I think it's just like what happens when you first greet it and like constriction in the body where I'm holding my stomach. Because part of it is just like, look, fuck, uh, discomfort is discomfort. What I am trying to do is greet whatever I'm feeling with gentility. Mm-hmm. and sweetness because clamping down on it and being like oh shit oh shit oh shit like that's not doing anything to me because what is grief grief is like one of the deepest forms of love you can possibly mm. experience for someone yes and i was also and it's also part of it's trying to like turn away from it and avoid it by staying up here with the anxiety versus just going straight down to what the feeling is which is deep fear and grief of losing someone you love yeah that feels untenable, feels un, uh, undealwithable, you know? I was doing that with my dad, where I was just like avoiding it, and then things were kind of progressing, and I was like, how do I want to remember that I showed up? And I turned towards my fear and towards my grief because it feels endless. But once I like just allowed myself to cry, and I work with this really amazing guy, a guy, Dr. Habib Sadegi, and he'll have me do stuff He's like, yes, like you're a little girl losing her papa. And I'm like fucking wailing on these calls with him. And he's like, okay, imagine that your father is transitioning. His head is on your lap and you're telling him how grateful you are for him as to being your father and you're forgiving him. And he'll have me like lead me through it talking. And it is, it is like the most intense work I've ever done in my life. 
And afterwards, it's so much easier for me to show up and be with him. Well, to just be able to be present in the place that he's mm -hmm. in right now. And not wish it was different or try and control it, have it be any different. That's so powerful because when my dad was really sick and he did go to the hospital to get his transplants, mm -hmm. we didn't know if he would survive it. Yeah. And I had that moment with him where it was potentially our last moment. Wow. And it was the saying goodbye and it was the forgiveness. And we hadn't spoken for almost a decade, really, because wow. I was angry with him for a long time. And then when we had this moment of deep forgiveness, it was the letting go for me was mm. so powerful. And I just remember waiting in the waiting room for 17 hours. And at the end, the doctor came down and said that a piece of calcium had fallen into my dad's heart and they didn't mm -hmm. know if he would wake up brain dead. And I just Whoa. remember laying there and praying and saying to myself, I just, you can't go. Mm. Really communicating with my dad, being like, I'm ready to reestablish our relationship and I'm ready wow. for, for this to change. And like, you have to make it through this. And then he woke up and he was fine and he... It's, it was the third year anniversary of his transplant in May. And I'm so grateful for that extended time and for however much more extended time we have. But to be able to come to that place and to be able to find someone that can facilitate you coming to that oh, place without yeah. needing the, the, that actual moment mm -hmm. is such a powerful thing that I think everybody deserves to have with yeah. whoever they have tension with in, in their love and their deep love for, for each other and yeah. people. Yeah, and it's, it's like you, it wakes you up a little bit. And it sounds like 100%. that moment really woke you up to what was important. And like it actually is such a gift with my dad because I think about other people and I'm like, okay, if this person had a terminal illness, how would I be with him? What, what is actually important? That's another thing that comes down to this thing that feels kind of cheesy, but it's just like what really gets me going is just being able to like be so loving and learning how to be loving through my anger is a new one for me that's been yeah, like so Yeah, how do you do spicy. that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, did you ever watch Grey's Anatomy? I did watch some episodes. Okay, so Sandra Oh, who actually shares my birthday, I love her. <laughs> she on that show, actually everyone on that show, and it also is just Shonda Rhimes, but they're so good at giving each other these like, and I will not let you quit, like blah, blah, blah these pep talks. So, and I was like, wow, I can't believe people communicate with each other that way. I just couldn't believe it. Because <laughs> I used to be like, here is a PowerPoint of my feelings and here's how I'm confronting you, but it's non-confrontational and it just took like so much of my energy. It was so exhausting because my programming was don't disturb anyone, don't bother anyone, just be easy and joyful all the time. Not joyful, but just like be easy all the time. And obviously that just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, it's not necessarily authentic. <laughs> no, it's not being it. in the human experience. No. You and can I, get angry. Yeah. And that's okay. I think I just never knew what to do with it in a safe way. And so I got to do it to Rumor in Idaho over Christmas. We were laughing about this experience the other day and I've been practicing in other ways. But we had just been like having so much fun together, coming together after moving through like old programming with competitiveness or feeling like there wasn't enough room for us. We've actually both been on this beautiful journey into like exploring sexuality, divine sexuality and sexual wellness, which has been really encouraging. And it was like, I got my friend to play with. And so over Christmas then I'm watching her fall into old shit. And I was like, Ugh. So I'm sitting with her in the bathroom and she's crying and Tula and I are both there. And I tried to give her some piece of something and she's like, I'm not, I don't want feedback right now. So I was like, okay, <laughs> babe, whatever. And then I just felt, I just felt, I felt this thing bubbling up in me. And so I stood up and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna remove myself. And she kind of startled her and she was like, are you mad at me? 
<laughs> and I had this moment where I was like, okay, I can be really honest or whatever. And I just like, without thinking, I was like, yeah, actually I am. And I couldn't tell you what I said, John, yeah. but I, it was amazing. It was so profoundly loving. I was like, this is not you. You, what you're robbing me of is my experience of playing with my friend. And I'm not into that. This is fake. This is you choosing into an old thing. I don't know. I don't know what I said, but I went off. It was like someone in a movie, like, getting smacked across the face or, like, doused with ice water. She immediately came back to herself. And it's also amazing because you <laughs> didn't fall into old patterns. Because no. when you have a share a lifetime yeah. with someone, it's so easy. I mean, I do that with my parents, even with Mike, mm -hmm. where it's so easy to fall into the pattern of being how I have always been in our fights or yeah. in our discontent with each other. And to choose a new neural pathway even is huge. Yeah. And it promotes that in other people too. Totally. Well, and that's kind of like, I reference this upstairs, but I think always I've been someone who catalyzes growth because I'm always catalyzing my own growth. And it used to be really scary because it felt like I would trigger people, but unintentionally, no matter how hard I tried. And so it's almost like I'm creating sovereignty over it. Not like I'm out here trying to trigger people, but I'm acknowledging that actually it's kind of a gift. My sisters did not like it when I started having boundaries. They would make fun of me. Look, the best thing I can possibly do I was like so self-righteous and like, oh, when will you guys catch up with me and my growth? And then I was like, actually, I'm just gonna like really stay in my own lane by just doing everything by example, enjoying my life more and like opting out of self-sacrifice. I make a bad martyr even though I was that for a long time. It's pretty powerful how close you are to your siblings and it seems like that's a really those are really powerful relationships mm, for you yeah. and show you growth and show you how you want to develop as a person and I think a lot of people don't have I mean I don't have close mm -hmm. siblings like that so it's kind of a blessing and it gives you places to reflect in a different way yeah on your own growth and like where you're going and also parameters to teach you how to have relationships so that when you do have an intimate relationship with a partner, mm -hmm. you've already kind of established different ways of relating with, with the people that you've spent your life with. Yeah, I really, that's it. They, and, I, and you have to choose into it, I think. With, I know people who don't have a relationship with their siblings. But I was thinking like the way we grew up was so wild that there was a little bit like, whoa, they were the only ones yeah, who were like, there for that. They just only had each other. Yeah. And then, about, I mean, I still remember a time where I was like, I love my sisters, but I don't think I'll ever be friends with them. But then we, like, really chose into becoming friends. They're my biggest teachers, truly. The reflections are so intense. The patterns are so intense. The way that codependency showed up in different ways. We're also enmeshed, and we've had to all individuate, but then also learn how to support each other from, like, a really good place out of desire to support one another as opposed to, like, necessity. Yeah, which is a really beautiful distinction. Yeah. Because it's a choice. At the end mm -hmm. of the day, it's still a choice. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be friends with your siblings. Yeah. You can choose to, to spend your life working with each other and using each other as teachers and enjoying time together mm -hmm. simultaneously. Oh, and they're just both so funny, and I'm, like, obsessed with them. That's amazing. I love them. You guys all have really different things that you pursue in life, yeah. too, for what you want to, how you want to be spending your time. Yeah, like it is and it is like we we all love art. We all love making stuff. I think there's a family band energy, like a weird <laughs> traveling circus energy that we all have. 
But yeah, and I think it's so cool because we're so similar and yet it's like like the Powerpuff Girls or something. You know what I mean? We're like, we're all aligned, but like we each have our own little thing we're bringing to the table. Yeah. And it's so, you know, and it's so fun as we actually do individuate to then come back together and be able to prize one another for these things that might have irked us about one another earlier on in our lives. I am fascinated by having relationships when you're so close to your sibling because I have two really close friends who are twins. Mm -hmm. And when one of them had a relationship, it just changes the dynamic. Yeah. And I know that you've been in a long-term relationship with someone for a while now. Mm -hmm. Was it hard to bring that into your family dynamic or was it? I mean, anyone who's dating one of us has to like be really... um, Courageous. (laughs) (laughs) Courageous. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, it's an intense world and you are kind of dating the whole family in a way because we're all so close. Yeah. When I first started dating Jake, he was like, wait, you talk to your sisters multiple times a day on the phone? Some people, it's just like, he doesn't really, he's not that close with his, or now he is, I think, actually, because Maybe of, like... influence. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of things in the beginning of dating him that he he was like, oh, I'm not that spiritual. I'm not I'm like, okay, sure, whatever you say. I don't know if I'd be with you. I'm like obviously drawn to something. And there's just like a willingness. And, you know, I was living with Tallulah at the time. We were sharing a bed, <laughs> <laughs> which is so nuts. You're like, like, so Jake, uh, there's room, there's a third spot in the tub. <laughs> <laughs> well, so she had a king-size bed. And also it was crazy because then she had a roommate move in after I moved out. I also, I didn't realize I was going to be there for a year and a half. Right. So it just spiraled, but I was like sharing her bed and her energy. But so there was the first night that we all were hanging out and we were watching a movie and he fell asleep. And I looked at Tulu and was like, so then I slept in the middle and we called it family bed. (laughs) (laughs) But that also was like a deeply codependent time. And it was a beautiful mirror of needing my own space. Another opportunity to individuate. (laughs) I mean, that is really beautiful and also intimate. Yeah. Truly intimate. And it sounds like you had a lot of patience, too, for the ways that he was going to grow as a person. Yeah. And maybe having relationships with siblings has helped you have more patience in general because it sounds like you said you started going on your journey of, like, personal development first. Yeah. And then setting that example even maybe in your example with spirituality, too. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. I think, like, I also was coming at relationships from, like, just really starting to heal myself from patterns that weren't working for me anymore. Even more intense than my my friendship and and family relationships, Uh, like, love addiction was really up for me. And I'd been working out really intensely, so with Jake, it was blank, blank canvas, which was terrifying. It was so terrifying. Being with someone who is emotionally available, terrifying. I literally would text my sponsor and be like, his vulnerability makes me want to hit him in the face. Like, I don't know what I want. I also, that was the big, like, M. Night Shyamalan plot twist. Because I was like, oh, I want love. I want relationship. I'm just, like, happen to be picking emotionally unavailable people. But the plot twist was that I was emotionally unavailable. Wow, what a (laughs) reflection. I know. Do you feel like it plays into you were able to express this in your music or in the art that you were creating at the time or that came later? No, the art was happening in real time. No way. Yeah, the art was how I processed it. Really? Oh, yeah. There's a song on my album called Love Without Possession and it was the most high drama 
moment of my life, perhaps. I mean, there were, I mean, this was really high drama. Me and my ex had broken up, but we were still hanging out. And I had started this song, but it wasn't finished yet. And he was like, oh, I'll, I'll drive you to the show tonight. And then a few hours before the show, he was like, oh, I can't drive you. I have to go to a meeting. And I'm like, he's with another girl. Like, I'm freaking out. So I finished the song. Actually, there's a line that is no longer in the song because it wasn't as good. But it was, I always know when you've been with another girl, I believe a meeting was the term that you gave me. So I finished the song, performed it that night to him, almost crying on stage. Because I was like, my music is the way to get through to him. It was so high drama. But if I was feeling something so intensely, I didn't have the same emotional tools I have now. So art was the only way to like process it out so I wouldn't go crazy. But it also sounds like it was a way for you to communicate with him, which for some people, it's a way to communicate with themselves. Mm -hmm. But it was also a way that you felt you could communicate with him. Was that true or was that just inside of you? No, I think it definitely was because I also know that he he actually was incredibly supportive of my music the entire time we were together. And I know that was something he really loved about me. And in a sense, I knew that could cut through and communicate to him I knew he would really be listening wow and then it also kept me company through my whole journey it's like the album is kind of it's a story of meeting someone and breaking up and finding yourself along the way like it could be uh, one day I want to write a musical like an entire story arc of a relationship and then my relationship with myself which was the greater part and the part that I had to do in between being in relationships and then also the relationship with yourself is what gives you the space to even take that time to reflect and be in the process of writing music of, yeah. of putting that words and and melodies and sound vibration mm-hmm. to what you were experiencing yeah as I as I was coming out of that and was still kind of afraid in an unconscious way to put my music out in the world what I realized was wow actually like I feel so privileged to have gone through this experience because it could have been like subpar bad for many years but it got so intense that I really started taking a look at myself and I felt so grateful for that I'll always have love for that person because he catalyzed so much growth within me and I was like going to sex and love addicts anonymous meetings and I was start that was really where I jumped in I'd been doing other stuff actually right when he and I broke up was the first year I went to the spiritual community in New Mexico and did vision quest which was the reason I got sober. I'd been doing some stuff up to that point, but I like really dove in kind of around then. So that was a big turning point in my life and my spiritual growth. And so the idea that I could put all of this that I was so privileged to learn and have the time to not have to have a nine to five job, to be able to like dedicate myself to my own growth How amazing that I could then put it in this simple way that people could sing almost like as an incantation to themselves and then maybe get something out of it. I love that. Especially talking about incantations. You had said earlier that you have been doing spells since you were a little girl. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, but it's true. Your relationship to spirituality is something that also you are participant in. Mm -hmm. You're not just passively saying Mm -hmm. life is happening to me. You realize that it's a relationship between you and doing and Mm. something bigger than yourself. Yeah, and the biggest shift for me was it's happening for me. You know, like I I don't necessarily have an issue with manifestation, but I feel like people hold it in an interesting way, which is like, and then this needs to happen. And so I've learned 
to, I will always say, after I ask for something or pray for something, I ask for this or something better for the highest good of all concerned. Because I am humble to the fact that I don't know what the best way is. And often my ask recently is like, I, spirit blow my mind for the highest good. I'm open to the miracle that my beautiful, puny little human brain cannot even conceive of. It's because those I moments, too, that are the most powerful. We just read this book, 4,000 Weeks. I feel like I t- probably mm-hmm. told you about it, about time management, but it's not actually about it. It's about how we spend our time. And, and in it, he's like, the moments that we aren't planning for are always the ones that are the most meaningful. Mm-hmm. Like the way that you meet the person you spend your life with isn't something you could have planned or yeah. scheduled in. And it's true that when we go outside of time, that's where the magic is when we stop asking for something specific and like accepting the things that are the miracles that are already happening there's just a level of Mm. of surrender that allows magic to occur exactly and that's another one of those things where it's like oh what the fuck does surrender actually mean what does that feel like in my body and back to our point in the beginning of this about how to navigate challenge and anxiety now it's like i have this foundation of knowing Okay, if everything has led me up to this point, even the stuff that was so painful, I thought I wouldn't survive it. And now I love myself more than I've ever, I ever have in my life. And I'm having more fun than I ever have in my life. Then even this discomfort right now, I can trust and I don't have to analyze it and know what the opportunity is yet. Just trust that it's for me. Yeah. It's like being fucking seasick. You can't get out of it. You can't will yourself out of it. You just have to trust at some point this will be finished and I'll be somewhere beautiful. (laughs) That is a really valid point because I notice when I get stuck in a moment and thinking it's never going to end or even sometimes when someone's at my house, it's exhausting me (laughs) and I'm like, man, I am stuck. And the feeling of being stuck is is very limiting Mm -hmm. and it's our own limitations that puts us there. You know that someone's going to leave or that you're going to get out of a situation. Even when I've been stuck at Burning Man, I've been like, man, I need to get out of this dust storm. And you're like, but the storm will pass. It'll be done at some point. Leave and go back to my regular life. Is it really that bad to Mm -hmm. be in the moment of the stuckness? So it's kind of like what you were saying before. At the most of it, at the the best end of things, I'm like, how much pleasure can I have in any given situation? I've oriented myself towards pleasure because I used to orient myself towards hypervigilance and like if I'm prepared for it then it won't hurt as bad prepared for what I don't know just like literally anything that was it like it wasn't even anything specific learning to trust peace in a way it felt so uncomfortable because I just lived in this very like masculine little warrior energy for so long and so leaning into this divine feminine submissive energy which like we think submission as weak or not as powerful but for me I imagine it's like Cleopatra energy that's attracting rather than contracting and allowing myself to just be surprised and delighted. And at the lowest end of things, at the very least, I'm curious about what I'm feeling. So like, what color is this sadness? What, what is this feeling like? What if this was a feeling that I consciously sought as opposed to just shutting down? I started imagining it like a little roller coaster in my brain, the old patterning. I can choose to get off the ride. That what was, was the, the old patterning? Of just... You know, like any little situation, like there was a moment with Tallulah where I was super honest with her about something in a way that usually I wouldn't. And I didn't explain myself. 
And for whatever reason, that brought up so much fear and so much anxiety, and it's tied to like a deeper thing, fearing her dying and not showing up the right way. I've already tried to contend with that, and so in this moment, I didn't even go into the analysis of it because I used to think that if I like understood it and analyzed it, then I could make it go away. But instead, I just tried to be gentle and loving. I've done it. I've done the old way enough times, but it's okay. And here's why and this. And then I like somehow convince myself into like over explaining or I'm just basically distracted. And then my whole day, which up till the text message with her was fine, is now derailed. And for what? It doesn't change anything. Yeah. You're just on the hamster wheel of yeah. the mind game. That doesn't change how she feels. That's no. just the only person that's hurting is me. So I might as well try something slightly different. I think it's really powerful to get to that point and and know that there is a new way to be. Mm -hmm. Secular Sabbath was created as a reclamation of the day of rest as a way for people to tap into their sensory selves through ambient music-centered experiences. Now, we've brought the community together online through our membership, The Inner Circle. Membership unlocks event tickets, musical artifacts, secret artist-curated playlists, member discounts, a community group, and more. In becoming a member, you're joining a community that's committed to sensory awareness, expansion, shared joy, and simply being. To become a member, check out the link in our show notes. We talked about it earlier in the house, but you were like, I have spent so much of my life doing the work on myself to get to the place where now I can put that into what I'm putting into the mm -hmm. world. And I think that is really special and really rare. And mm -hmm. I also feel the same way because of how I grew up at Esalen, Yeah, that we were constantly doing the work on ourselves. And so when I did decide to put something into the world, it was from that space. Mm -hmm. And that is such a privilege that we have. And yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if now that your records come out, you've had moments of feeling re receptivity to how you've worked on yourself mm. and that shows through your work. Yeah, and I think even before that, which is what's really cool, because I'd start orienting myself to pleasure as opposed to avoiding pain, I just had started really enjoying myself in this way where I was even aware of what words I used. I use and instead of but. I'm loving and I'm angry, not I'm loving but I'm angry. Mm. So it's like not trying to cut myself off from experience. And it actually had taken so much time in between writing these songs and then all the way up to recording them. And then it took another like a little bit less than that after that for it to be released. Yeah, because that's how an album works and people yeah. don't realize that. No. You're so far from the emotions <laughs> that you felt when you made it. And, and it, But what that allowed me to do is by the time the day it came out, it felt like both the most magical completion energy, but also like the most mundane thing I've ever done. Yeah, the most anticlimactic yeah. moment of all time is when an album comes out. And yet it's beautiful because you see all these nice things or people are saying congratulations. Yeah. And yet it's already been here this whole yeah. time. Well, I didn't need any of that. That's what yeah. was nice. I wasn't oh. looking. People have been like, how's, that, how's the record doing? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm doing great. I feel good. And it was been an incomplete cycle of action for many years. And that was really the joy. It, it was the vehicle to allow me to let go of my fear of being seen. 
my fear of putting myself out in the world. Even the growth from the first single I put out in October to now is like mind blowing. That was terrifying in a way. Even the first music video brought up so much, all so many insecurities. So by this point, I feel so relaxed. I want to tour. I want to connect with people. I want to like see how they're doing. But it's like, okay, I'm not a human mom that's, oh, my babies, how are they? I have to like stay with them. I'm like more like an animal mom that stays with them for a little while and is like, okay, do you. Do you think <laughs> with the song specifically? Yeah. So does that make you feel with an audience that you'd be, have you played it live in front of audiences where you felt a different relationship to the songs through seeing mm. it through their experience? Definitely. I played a little mini, I did a little mini tour. I went up to Ojai and we were playing in this teeny tiny little room. And actually I realized like, that's like my favorite thing. I started when I started so playing doing house shows. And I love, because honestly my music, my music makes people cry. I love, I love crying. Obviously I'm a water sign. <laughs> and that experience, watching people be with me and feel it is so amazing. And there were times where I was like bored of the songs or tired of them, but there was, there was one of my songs called Mysterious Ways. And that morning I was going on this tour, I actually had like a lot of fear come up because it's scary kind of to get exactly what you want. I was like, should I want that? Like, I should want this more or whatever. Why am I afraid? And so in the, in the song is really about prayer and about connecting. And it got me. I almost started crying. During I almost the Yeah, because I was like, whoa, shit. It's like still totally relevant. Wow, it's like you can come back around to a song in a new way. Yeah, they're all actually like even doing the video, like they're all different. It's so cool. The song Woman at Best that I did a music video for meant something totally different to me when I did the music video because of the place I'm in in terms of my confidence and my work around my sexuality. And so it became this really passionate love letter to the fact that I had learned to be all of these things at once. Mm. Soft and really powerful, angry and joyful tender and sexual and like all for myself not in a way that was performative for anyone else but for me and that song was always like the most anthemic all the other songs have a little bit of a wistfulness in them the mm. ones about relationships and it's like are we gonna make it and this song is like driving on the freeway after the very last conversation and when you've had that conversation that you were so terrified to have because it made you feel on some level like you were gonna die and then you have it and you're like oh my god I'm so fucking powerful I did it. I did the thing that like scared me more than anything in the world and I'm still alive and just feeling totally complete on something. I think that's so brave. And it's <laughs> terrifying to me because those yeah. are the those are the conversations that freak me out so badly. I but I do think that even when Mike and I have moments like that where I'm like, I have to be radically vulnerable mm -hmm. with how I'm feeling, those are we always come out better on the other side yeah. because no matter what that means for our relationship, it means growth. Yeah. And it could be a growth of an end of one version of it and mm -hmm. a beginning of a new frontier, and that's scary. But even in within a single relationship, you can have deaths and then come totally. out into a new way. Those are the scariest moments. I know. But what's scarier than that is stagnation, no? And like a, the 100%. slow death of relationship or, or a friendship. I've been doing this. I had like two of my best friends 
around my birthday. It was such a cancer birthday, oh my God. We literally like did a medicine journey together and then we were just like renegotiating our friendship contracts. Really? With yeah. each other? Yeah, and like I had to be so vulnerable about wanting support. These are friends of mine for like over 10 years. But it was like, oh wow, I really can't take for granted that that just means we'll be friends forever. We had to re-update the contract and the software and it was uncomfortable and also just like stunning and it was around my birthday which always brings up shit for me and asking to be held by someone is still so uncomfortable for me in a way like I've learned to do it in my romantic partnership but I realized actually like I'd been having this deep yearning for female friendship and looking at where my edges with intimacy with with other women are we all were like whoa, I'm so exhausted, but it was so beautiful. I was thinking about that because when you came with one of your friends to Secular mm-hmm. Sabbath the other day, I was really moved by the fact that you have had such a long, intimate friendship mm-hmm. because that is rare. And we don't in society talk enough about female friendship breakups. Yeah. Because those for me have been maybe the most painful yeah. breakups I've ever had. And Lee and I actually talk about it a lot because there's no room for it or like we just had someone leave Secular Sabbath and that was really sad for me because it wasn't just the working relationship but it was also like oh she didn't want to be a part of the Mm -hmm. thing that I believe in most anymore and then thus our friendship couldn't exist outside of it and we don't really have a technology or even a therapy for friends so it's really special that you guys created a space for yourselves to, to do that and continue in developing what that relationship is because it is a relationship. Absolutely is being able to own the fear. And like, I think because I'm doing it, I do it so much with my siblings and Mm. with my partner, but both of those relationships, there's like a trust at this point, but also it is kind of exhausting to like dedicate yourself. And I realized even I was breadth and depth where like last year I had a bunch of friends for my birthday and this year it was these two friends and I and Jake and there were moments where I was like do I want more people in this and I was like no this year is about what's the foundation what's the rubric for how I want to move in friendship so that I can widen it out because there was moments where I was like where are my fucking people Mm. where are my people and not knowing and that wasn't at anyone's fault not, not that I don't have friends, but I was craving something I didn't have context for yet, which is closeness and being like, yeah, I would say I'm close with someone. But then it's like, OK, what is the next level of that? Like going super fucking deep with people and letting go of old stories, because also you were saying with Mike, it's like and with with friendships and everything, you have to continually meet people where they're at right now. Which is an evolution from where they were when you decided to be friends or in a relationship in the first place. Or conflict that we had before we had tools to work it out. Mm. That there's fucking residue in there that are creating stories that might not have any relevance to who you are now. But both of you are still holding maybe a little thing, a little skittishness with one another. It's really powerful that you're willing to dive into those spaces and Mm. excavate because those can erupt in a way that you wouldn't even expect. Yeah. And it seems like you've really developed the tools to to go in there and navigate it and come out the other side. I'm working on it, man. Like, and I think I, I, I love this stuff. And I think the depth of clarity I've gotten to with myself means that I can't do 
shallow in my really intimate relationships. But it is interesting because there's this like, you know, very close friend group from college and there were like three guys, three girls, including myself, that we somehow just like, we call it fam group because we just became friends. Sam Marno is one yeah, of them. Yeah, I was like, say Sam. And yeah. <laughs> so we had a friend recently who, yeah, like sent a message to the group chat and the context of which is like unimportant and he and I still haven't really like worked things out, but it was intense and he left. He left the chat. Yeah, left the chat, kind of put stuff on us and left and it was so scary and painful. And this is a friend with whom like he's pretty fiery and we've actually taught each other a lot about Your conflict. water, he's fire. So I called, I, I texted him immediately because it was about something we all had done to someone else, which was just weird. And I like sent something weird and I was like, hey, I just want to check in because it seems like there might be some other stuff going on. And then he was like, I have an issue with you. Oh, you specifically? Mm. Yeah. And so what was really interesting about that, he removed himself, but it was a reminder for all of us about where things have just, we've just been complacent in these relationships. So he was this beautiful catalyst for growth and for being like, oh shit, I do need to like put more effort and more work into these relationships. Michelle lives in Vienna now, like our friends in New York, people are all over the place. And I've been in work and putting energy into my relationships and it's like the season of of friendships I think is here for me a little bit now that other things have gotten more energy and are a little more taken care of and they have a place now yeah it seems like your work you know your path yeah this is what I feel meant to do Mm -hmm. in this world and it's something that you're dedicating your life to yeah and then your relationship is steady. Your family yeah. has its steadinesses. And also, like, friendships are volatile. Yeah. It, you do have to water them. Mm-hmm. They don't just water themselves. It's easy to let things go. I ran, there was a woman I met at Secular Sabbath this time that I didn't know. She was assisting the photographer. Yeah. And she was like, we have a mutual friend, this girl, Kate, in New York. And I was like, what? I lived with her when I was 19 for, like, Whoa. three months. I didn't even... <laughs> But we had the best time, and yeah. all these memories came back. And, and Katie, that was yeah. not even Kate, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> and all these memories came back of having so much fun. We, like, found this uh, wheelchair, and we're rolling each other around on the streets <laughs> of Brooklyn, like, really kids. And uh, had the best time, and she was like, yeah, she said the same thing. Like, she doesn't know why you guys lost touch. It was uh. just time. Nothing bad happened. And, and I thought about it and I'm really bad at staying in touch mm-hmm. with people long distance because I'm so present in my life, yeah. but also because it takes effort and acknowledging that I, there's a laziness in me mm-hmm. that's not necessarily always willing to do the work to, to sustain or work through the issues. Yeah. And even hearing you and your friends is inspiring because it is rare to be willing to take the time yeah. and to put your energy towards developing relationships that are long. Yeah. But maybe it's also because you have a sense of family in that way too with your siblings and those relationships, you know, you're stuck in each other's life forever, yeah, whether so you like it or work not. It out. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think some of it is spirit coming in because it was like, I didn't know what I was doing for my birthday. We were at the spiritual community where like Michelle, who you met the other day, always comes with me too. Our other friend Olivia came and then like show with my family was crazy. So it all went into this way where I was like, I had no energy to plan anything other than this. And part of me was a little nervous about the intimacy of it, of mm-hmm. just having the three of us. There was a way in which I was like, yeah, things are fine. But then I'd kn- I knew there was stuff. I j- yeah, I knew that the dynamic had to be worked on and it 
the timing was perfect. There were moments of insanity inside myself with like, I mean, we talked about it at the secular side, but the desert valley, caring about your birthday and like the weird shame that holds as an adult. And now I'm looking back and it's another one of those divine trust moments where I'm like, oh my God, that was fucking perfect. It was so perfect because it also then gives me a north star of what I'm looking for. Because also finding new relationships and building new relationships is scary. Because look, both of these people don't live in LA. Yeah. Sometimes because I have my relationship and I'm so present in my relationship and I'm so present in my work, I also get lazy. Mm-hmm. I meet people I really like. It is like a relationship. You have to go on friend dates. You yeah. gotta go past that level. You gotta be honest with them and this, but it's like, can it be easier than that also? Can it just be feel effortless? And where do I have fear around like diving in with people? I feel that way. I mean, even we have known each other per- peripherally since yeah. we were teenagers. I've seen photos of you on the wall since I was literally a little That's kid so at Samson and Laura's. And then we meet again at Samson's wedding. Yeah. Then we have these like little moments of meeting each other again. And it is a slow burning friendship mm-hmm. is kind of the only way that I know how now because yeah. the ones that burn bright seem to burn out so fast in a way. Yeah, and I used to see people who'd be like, this is my new best friend, we're best friends. And I was like, mm-mm. I still have my childhood best friend from when I was like a kid. And I had two really best friends in high school and I still don't kick it with anyone from high school except for them. And then college too. I can't, yeah, I have my crew. I wish there was like a dating app for new friends in a way. Yeah. But that slow burn, but it's also like putting effort in and trusting the spark and not getting afraid of the spark because it's also the same part of me that was avoidant in romantic relationships is like, where am I also avoidant of intimacy with feminine friendships? Do you, when you explore that, do you find where it comes from? Well, I feel like it's like a pretty new exploration in a way. Like I was telling you, I went, well, actually, so coming to the desert was was really amazing for me because I had released a song and I, things had been so wild before that, that I hadn't planned anything. I don't know, this old, independent, adventuresome spirit came up to me and I was like, I'm going to go alone. And I already felt like I knew you because uh, we had just been like talking for so long and actually I had forgotten until I got out there that we like hadn't hung out since that wedding. (laughs) So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go. And you held space for me in the most beautiful way where I just felt so like welcomed of like, you can stay in here and it's all ready for you and it's good and like everything's great. I just felt so at ease and that, I don't know, it opened me up to just like adventure again. And then after that, I went on this little tour and then I went to this women's pleasure retreat. It was like, I was just, I'd been so in the shed and in my house for so long. And that was me like, I don't know, going out on this little mission, like without my partner, remembering that actually I love going and doing stuff on my own. And what's beautiful about friendship right now is that Okay, I'm working on stuff with people who have known me a long time and like re-updating the contract, but actually getting the reflection of people who are meeting me right now is also another beautiful spoke of that Mm. wheel of like, they're just meeting me for who I'm, how I'm showing up in this exact moment without any old stories or narratives about me. I think that is a really profound thing. Yeah. And I noticed that when you did come to Secular Sabbath and Joshua Tree, because I don't really invite that many people to secular <laughs> Sabbath because it's also a balance of like we have yeah. so many people working and doing stuff at it that we don't have that many spots for, for friends to come. But there was something, sometimes I feel like it's, 
an intuition or I'm just like, I feel like this person really needs to be yeah. here this time. But you showed up so open and mm. so available and really down for all the activations, yeah. which is my energy or like <laughs> Leahy's energy too. We're like, we want to do all the activities yeah. because that is where you find community, you find your people. And for me, Secular Sabbath works as my bird song. It's like, yeah. I'm going to call in all the people that want to do the same kind of curious things and staying in our child mind and having these these experiences together that exist outside of the norm yeah in a joyful way and I think you exist in that too of Mm -hmm. not being necessarily a grown-up but being like a child baby grandma at the same time (laughs) and that's such a healthy like so wise and yet part of the wisdom is being in your your curious state your child mind yeah Well, it's like I've had all these experiences recently, that being one of them, where I'm just like, man, my life is so cool. How fucking lucky am I to find Mm. myself at these places? Part of it I know is just like I'm very blessed and also like I've activated myself to be available for these experiences. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not just... Yeah, you couldn't be born into privilege or you can be born into situations that put you in the right place to be, but you also have to walk through the door. Yeah, and so the door yes can be sitting stuff. right in front of you and you cannot walk through it. I have so many friends that I know that don't walk through the door because of all of the things that they put on their mind. Exactly. The amount of, that we can talk ourselves out of stuff, out of making art, out of sharing art, out of having adventure. And I think that's something I kind of took for granted about myself until Jake, my boyfriend, pointed it out. I think of something and I just go do it. Oh, I want to start going to farmer's markets and I go. Or like, oh, I want to go rock climbing so I find a place. Or like, oh, I want to go to the desert so I just go by myself. And that doesn't mean that it's not without hesitancy, but it's always been kind of effortless for me to like go and do something. And I never realized that that was hard for some people. Yeah. I don't know. It was just so amazing to activate that again and also just get to hang out with you and like get to hang out with so many people and just be like moments that I'm like wow I'm so lucky to be a young kooky artist in this lifetime like how what it's such a privilege to be me in this embodiment and if like that is my north star is staying in that gratitude and like the privilege of being me then like nothing actually it has to be that scary and even going on tour it gives you the confidence to know you're going to meet new people and have new experiences and no matter how a show goes or who shows up or what's happening at it the experience is yours to enjoy exactly so right before Christmas um, this beauty app was having a launch party and Halsey was the MC and it was like like, I think Dosha Cat was performing and they wanted me to perform and I was like what? okay (laughs) it was amazing like it was so funny (laughs) And it was at the Avalon in Hollywood. And so for all intents and purposes, this is like the biggest show I've ever played, right? Yeah. And I was terrified. I taught myself how to play guitar. And so, you know, guitar isn't my main thing. Guitar is a vehicle to write my own music. And so it's a way that I have really talked myself out of like trusting my ability as a musician. So I'm playing a guitar that's plugged in where usually I like make it real quiet and it's this and I'm playing with other musicians and I'm going to do it standing up. And I was so insanely nervous. And then I just had this moment where I was like, who the fuck cares? Who the fuck cares if I like what? I can use guitar as a way to like punish myself. But right now in this moment, this is as good as I am. 
is beating myself up for doing that, for being where I'm at, going to change how I play tonight? No, absolutely not. And so it was just this moment of total release because then I play and no one knows who I am, which I don't take personally. No one's listening, which I also don't take personally because I've just like, I'll play house parties, I'll play on the street, like I'll play anywhere, I don't care. And I use each one as the learning experience. And so it's all of these like, kind of like beauty influencer teens <laughs> and they're like not really paying attention. And then I like kind of belt in one of these first songs and they're all like, <gasps> And I just got so loose with it. I was like, oh, now you're paying attention. And I'm like joking around and I'm just feeling so confident. And I was like, man, what a gift to just let this go and just have fun and use it as practice and like lower the stakes for myself. And then to go on a little tour and be with people in that really intimate way. I found myself really available to connect because of that experience and because I had allowed myself to finally let go of another thing I was holding against myself because it's like, okay, so what? Compared to say Jake, who I live with, who's an amazing guitarist, that's the level I'm at compared to whatever. But it was just another thing I was using to like hold myself back or like punish myself for whatever reason and like keep myself small. And so I think the same thing with like people going, not going on adventures or not doing the thing that they like truly want to do. Do you feel like it took you a long time to commit to making music? Yeah. Well, so it's like I did it and I did it when I was a kid. I found a journal the other day that was so cute. I must have been like nine years old and it was like, I'm going to be a pop star, blast off to the moon and make it and like have a photo shoot and then make it back in time for math class. It was like some weird spoken word poetry that thing. Is so it was cute. so cute. And like pop star was the only thing I had like that was know, our content. vocabulary yeah. at the time, too. The, 90s? Yeah. 90s kid. And I don't know, and even, like, throughout high school, but in high school I had some, like, experiences where I got more shut down about it because I got afraid. I got in trouble one time because I was so nervous and I was singing this old Patsy Cline song and I wasn't playing guitar, I was just singing. And so I was being nervous with the microphone and later I got in trouble for being suggestive as if I was like trying to simulate like giving the microphone a hand job when really I didn't know what to do with my hands and I was nervous so I like got a sexualized and b punished for and something shamed. and shamed and so there was like all these little experiences so I didn't do it and then in college after we went and saw the spoken word poetry team perform which was like amazing at Brown. Spoken word poetry can either be total cringy trash or like so good you want to tear your heart out and like give it to the poet. And it was the latter. So we went back to my friend's house and they were just like, everyone was like drinking whiskey and smoking and someone grabbed a guitar and I started singing and people were like, what? What is that? What do you mean? And it just, I finally warmed back up to it. Then I met my friend Gus Wenner and we started writing music together. And he was in another band at the time, but then they broke up and we started playing music together. We like did an EP and it was the first time that I realized I could do it. But then still, after college, he got a real job. I was like, oh, I need a real job. I worked for a clothing designer. I did interior design. I was all over the map. And all of it was just ways of avoiding and avoiding and avoid. Because it was tender and vulnerable. And also there was this part of me that was on this really penitent path that had this idea that if it came easily to me and it brought me joy, then it wasn't worthwhile. 
Yeah, it's back to what that guy, uh, there was a guy that said that to me, that you had to separate joy from what you, he couldn't mix his pleasure in life with what he was doing for work. Like the work oh, was whoa. just to earn money and the joy was something separate. Yep. And he looked at me and he was like, you can't do one without the other. And I said, yes, I can't. Why would we? Well, I think that some people just feel that they need to be a billionaire. They need mm -hmm. to have a, a ton of money or they need to even just have money to survive. And those two things can't go together. Yeah. But I, I think if you have the opportunity or the privilege to to see life in another way. Even. Yeah. Because I've been in, I have had jobs that I didn't bring me joy. Like mm -hmm. I worked for a Chinese company when I first moved to LA that was a normal, I had to go into the office and it was like <laughs> I a, can't imagine you in an no, office no. job. It was so <laughs> funny. And I was literally, there were two people in the office that weren't Chinese and I was one of them. Well, what were you doing for them? Um, it was, it was called homily. It was like a meetup, but it was, the Chinese version of Meetup, and they okay. had, they had come over. Did you know what Meetup was? No. Like, Meetup was like, like <laughs> where uh, a website where people would post, "I'm going on a hike at Runyon Canyon," and then people would sign up to go on a hike with them. So this is the Chinese version. Got they hired it. me as an event planner. <laughs> so the seed was like kind of no. There. So, no, this is literally how I started Secular Sabbath. Oh my god! I I was an event planner <laughs> in the sense that they wanted to bring usership to the website. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, like, I can bring users. I'll just have my book club on here. I'll yeah. do. So, like, I had a short stories book club. And then all the Amazing. people were really interesting that were in my book club, right? Everyone had really interesting creative jobs. But because it was just a book club at my house, they just had to sign up online. And then I was participating in my job. But I hated being in the office, yeah. even though it was only two days a week. It was, <laughs> it was terrible to me to sit in front of a desk. And I was like, how do I get out of this? So then I did my first ambient music experience and I was like, oh, partnerships. I can have meetings with companies like Harmless Harvest and yeah. I don't have to be in the office. So then I started making all these meetings with different partners wow. that I wanted to do it with. And that got me out of the office. Mm -hmm. So then I had the, the my coworker draw because I didn't know how to drive. I was like, oh, we have to go to this meeting and then this meeting and this meeting. And so he would take me to the warehouses and I would meet the different people. And that's how I started getting partnerships for Secular Self. Wow. And when the company failed and went under, I had already built up the, All the contacts, the contacts <laughs> and the experience. But because I wanted to be out of the job. So it's like, even if you don't have the funding or the ability yeah. to do it, you have agency in your life. Mm -hmm. We all have agency in our life. And if we have something beautiful that we want to pursue or spiritual or some connection to something bigger than ourselves, life will t lead you into that path if you take the agency to f take the step forward. Totally. To walk through the door. And it's the same with music. It's like, yeah, you felt you, you needed a normal job, but ultimately... All those things will break down if they're not supposed to be what I you're know. doing and you will go towards the thing that you're meant to be. And they in. all did. It was just like the circuitous path to get me there. And I used to really beat myself up, especially in like my early mid-20s about not being where I needed to be in my career. But then catch me at 28 when I went into the studio. God, was I 28? Yeah. Being like, thank God. Thank God I wasn't in the studio till just now at this moment because I'd learned X, Y, and Z that helped me advocate for myself. And I also had different experiences as a musician that I got to know myself better and I felt more comfortable in that space. And it was perfect, but I was never going to not do music. It that just is was your like, it, it's my purpose. And there are other things, and then like new purposes have come in, but they're all part of something 
bigger. I think that's what gets me really excited. And that's what's really exciting about mm. coming to Secular Sabbath is like activations and gathering people, music as the main thing for all the other things I want to do. Because that's the thing. I'm There are people who are just like pure artist brain that I love. But that's just not me. There's like an excitement and an entrepreneurial energy and uh, want to have experiences with people. And uh, it goes back to being so interested in people. Now that I've been on this whole journey with sexuality, which I always just thought was something I like was interested in and loved and loved to talk about. But I'm like, no, now it's a deeply sacred calling. And how do I weave that into music? And that's what's really exciting about music for me. Everything I'm working on that I'm also obsessed with it's not separate from my music. Sounds like the music is a vehicle. Yeah. And I think the thing I love about it, I mean, there's actually like the Sia song that has gotten me through so much. It was like powerful, like a like a spell, like an incantation. And also I was talking to my friends about like Tony Robbins the other day, which like Tony Robbins can seem so cheeseball. And yet what he's doing is such a brilliant service because he's bringing these things that might be... I was like prohibitive to a lot of people to woo woo because it's too expensive because it's too niche because no one ever has showed that to them and he's putting this really beautiful knowledge into a format that like everybody can understand yeah, it's digestible digestible and so it's like music is such a powerful vehicle because a book can change your mind a movie can change your mind but a song can change your mind within like three minutes mm. and it's so and you can have it with you but then what's really cool for me is like, so like one of my best friends in the world is like a, on his way to be a master perfumer. He's amazing. He went to perfume school in Versailles and then got like tapped to work at the company. So he and I have been working on scents for every song on the album. That is so I sick. No, I've had this idea for so many years and I'm so excited it's finally happening. I just hung out with him in New York and he showed me some of them. Because then, okay, so under each of my tracks, we did the whole album in 432 tuning, which is supposed yeah. to like hit your body Art. in a different way. Yeah. And then we embedded different frequencies underneath the tracks that are all for different things, where it's like one's for anxiety, one's for like trauma, one's for connecting to a higher power. So I'm also just like undercover trying to put healing shit into it without being overt about that. And then the context of the song, the lyrical content of it, all of it's meant to like hit you and help support you and keep you company. So then if it really keeps you company and it taps on something and it really is helpful to you, then one day you get the perfume. So then even when you're not listening to it, you can like have it with you. I'm really interested in the whole synesthetic experience. I'm so moved by that because that is how I feel about Secular Sabbath mm -hmm. too. Having something that's like a talisman of this experience that mm -hmm. you can have there is so important. And I love that you're doing it with scent. Yeah. It's such a powerful way. It holds so much memory. It holds a mm -hmm. sense of place and a sense of home. Your senses change every day. So there's some perfume that you really like at one point in your life and you don't like now. But just to smell something that, like, I have one combo. It's perfume called Timbuktu and one that's like a Le Labo cedar one. And it's like the first day of fall. I love that. And it's certain energies. But then if it's like boiling hot summertime and I put it on, I'm like, ooh, fall. It's coming. It, and he and I, so he'll come for my birthday and he'll bring me like a briefcase of scents. And it is the most amazing play to me because it he has such a beautiful logistical mind with it and like all of the chemistry around it. He's fucking brilliant. And I come at it with a very playful, intuitive sense. 
And so together we just have so much fun and really like it's a vehicle for something that's so meaningful to me and maybe have a perfume company one day or I want to have a notebook. I want to have a song book so people can learn all my music. As I said, my guitar playing pretty basic. But I also want to use that not as a way to like punish myself anymore, but as a way to empower people who are like, oh, I'll never be able to play an instrument. Yeah. So I'm like, if I can learn how to play, anyone can learn how to play. But then also have like journal prompts in there. And so there's like all these different worlds that I want to move in. And actually it was about getting everything a little more simple, focusing on one thing. And once that wheel is in motion, then that can like set everything else in motion and I can do every single thing I want. I like that. And I feel similarly that it's important to pursue all the different things that your mind is drawn to Mm -hmm. because everything that you put your touch on will have your scent to Mm -hmm. it. And anything that I'm doing, whether it's making a music video or doing Secular Sabbath or creating a label, they're all in the same world of of what I want to be sharing with the world, which is a sense of community and a sense Mm. of something greater than ourselves. And for you, it seems so attached to personal growth and mm-hmm. really accepting yourself and finding confidence. And that seems like that's been your story of how you've grown into yourself yeah. and like the wisdoms that you want to share with the world. Mm, thank you for that reflection. Yeah, that is it. You know, one of my other slogans is I'm here for a good time, not a long time. And this whole like life is short and then you die and like it sucks. I'm like, that is so the antithesis of how I operate in the world. I'm like, nothing matters. And I say that in a way that like actually really empowers me to do what I want. Actually, everything is available to me. I can do whatever I want. And like the only person holding me back is myself. That was one of the most empowering experiences I had where it's like, everyone's like, oh, The Matrix is a documentary. And like, I honestly feel that way, but not in a scary like government control way necessarily. But insofar as the scenery is training to like jump over the, the building and he's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And it's like the only one telling me I can't do it actually is myself. And so to be able to break through that and just orient myself towards fun and play and curiosity and enjoyment is a gift that I wish for literally every single person on earth. (laughs) I love that. I think that that's beautiful. And I think that's like the perfect thing to finish on. I just think what you're putting out into the world is so important and Mm. we all need more of it. So I'm really grateful that I get to talk to you about it today. Same back to you. And talk about it more in the future. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. To get updates from Secular Sabbath on upcoming sensory experiences, follow us at Secular Sabbath. Let's get activated together.